bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 54 of the Man of Scream podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I am going to finish off season four of The Adventures of Superman with The Phantom Ring and The Jolly Roger. As I sit here and record this episode, it's weird to think that after I finish this episode, I will have completed three quarters, 75% of the episodes of The Adventures of Superman. After this week, there will be 26 episodes left to cover of the series, which basically covers Disc 4, Seasons 5 and 6. It's hard to believe that this leg of the podcast, which started last June, is reaching the home stretch. 26 episodes of the series proper means 13 more episodes of this show will be dedicated to that before I move on to the Filmation cartoon sometime in June. But there is still so much more to get to as I finish up this season. And before I get to my coverage... For this week, I want to address a email I got from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen Podcast episode number 50. Dave writes, Congratulations, Mike, on your 50th episode, and best wishes for many more. Well, thank you, Dave. I plan to put out plenty more. So, not only to Dave, but to everybody else, kind of stick with this. It'll I will keep making this podcast as long as you're out there listening to it. Anyway, Dave continues. I must say, even though it's not a great episode of Superman, I have a soft spot for Peril by Sea for a couple of reasons. First, I like episodes that take the regulars out of their regular lives, and this one certainly takes Perry White out of his. Reading ancient Greek, dabbling in science. These are certainly not things we'd expect from the gruff newspaper editor. Second, there was at least one very self-referential line in this episode which must have been intentional. Near the end, Superman tells Lois and Jimmy that they should get back to the planet because Clark Kent can't put the paper out all by himself. Which I take to be some writer winking to the audience about the often noted idea that the only staff of the entire paper seems to be Jimmy, Lois, Clark, and Perry. There's one other line I find noteworthy. At one point, Perry tries to misdirect the crooks from the formula by saying, That's just some ancient manuscript I've been translating. And A says something like, Does the ancient Greek use numbers for letters? Well, actually, the ancient Greeks used letters for numbers, alpha for one, beta for two, gamma for three, etc. So there wouldn't have been anything H should have recognized at all as numbers. Of course, I doubt the show's writers would have known that offhand and probably had no inclination to research the question any more than they would have known or cared that there's no such isotope as uranium, U-183. Yeah, I'm gonna stop Dave there for a second. Yeah, the show's writers don't care about such things, just like they didn't care as there was no such thing as 2,000 degrees below zero in the big freeze. Anyway, back to Dave. Or that no one would have known about uranium a thousand years ago, let alone tried to extract it from seawater. Yeah, I kind of agree with that, Dave. I had that problem, too, with that episode. Anyway, back to Dave. No such deep plot points or questions in Topsy Turvy. It's just pure silliness and delight when Professor Pepperwinkle is involved, and that episode was delightfully fun. I look forward to your take on Jimmy the Kid, which I recall is one of those episodes in which Jack Larson must have had a lot of fun. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. Well, thank you, Dave. I... Continue to enjoy and appreciate your feedback. And once again, I'm going to put out the call to any of you who want to send in f- feedback. Please feel free to do so at manascreen at gmail.com or you can 
Send me a message on Facebook. I am pretty easy to find. So, with that done, I am going to take a quick break, play a promo, and then I'm going to come back with The Phantom Ring. Hang around, folks. Rocketed from the doomed planet Krypton, Baby Kal-El landed in Smallville, Kansas, where he was found and raised by the Kents. Growing up, he was raised with morals and values which would stay with him for the rest of his life. Now, as an adult, he protects the city of Metropolis and the world as Superman, fighting for truth, justice, and the American way. My name is Mario Benesi, and I host a show called Up, Up, and Away, the podcast dedicated to anything and everything Superman. From 1938 to today, I cover it all. From comics and movies to TV, radio, and more, you can bet I've covered it on Up, Up, and Away. Or I will cover it. It's kind of how these shows work. Now, this is a character that's meant a lot to me for a great many years, and this show is my love letter to my hero. So if you love Superman as much as I do, or you want to learn a little bit more about him, check out the show. It can be found on iTunes and Podomatic, as well as through Facebook. If you want to contact yours truly, drop me a line at mbenesi94 at yahoo.com. That's B as in boy, E-N-N-E-S-E. Up, Up, and Away is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network. Alright, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into The Phantom Ring. Original broadcast date was June 9th, 1956. Writer was David Chandler was Phil Ford. Guest cast included Lane Bradford as Joe, George Brand as the jewelry store clerk, Peter Bracco as the Spectre, Paul Burke as Rosie, Ed Hinton as Al, and Henry Rowland as Luke. Now for our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. A rash of robberies throughout Metropolis has both the authorities and reporters for the Daily Planet baffled. No one was seen taking the merchandise from various shops and establishments in the city. Editor Perry White is screaming for this mysterious case to be solved. The closest thing to a lead comes to Clark Kent in the form of a homing pigeon. Oh, excuse me, I should know by now that when I open my door I should be prepared to leap back madly. Oh, we forgive you. Hey, but Clark, look at this. What do you think it is, Mr. Kent? Well, obviously it's a box with some small holes in it. Well, aren't you going to open it? A messenger left it downstairs. It's addressed to you. Besides, it gurgles. Well, in that case, we better look into it. Now, who in the world would send me a... Oh, what? Don't tell me you can see inside. Maybe he thinks he's Superman. Oh, very funny, Jimmy. No, there are holes here. Obviously, they must be for air. And air means there's something alive. Well, let's right. find out. A pigeon. It's a bird. And most pigeons are, Jimmy. Maybe this note will tell us something. Mr. Kent, if you want to talk about recent robberies, contact us by enclosed homing pigeon. That's what it is. Must have your word, no police trap. If meeting is arranged, sign the Spectre. Spectre? What kind of a name is that? What are you going to do, Mr. Kent? Well, I don't know, but I'm not going to pass up any opportunity to meet this Spectre, whoever he is. Clark, it may be a trap. You better call the Inspector Henderson. No, that would involve the police, and I couldn't do that if I gave my word. No, I have to handle this my own way, Lois. I don't get it. Why the pigeon? Well, actually, it's a very good idea. Jimmy, if, uh... If they gave us an address or a phone number, it could be traced, right? But now, only the pigeon knows where to go. That's right. A homing pigeon flies directly back to its own coop. 
Yes, and I think I'd better go along with this gag. And I think I'd better go it alone. You mean alone with us? I mean alone, period. Oh, come on, Jimmy. Clark wouldn't share a story with his own grandmother. Well, have a nice trip. Thank you. Over and out. Nothing is said about Superman. As Superman follows the pigeon, the Spectre's gang is counting money and assessing what they had stolen. A machine hidden behind a lead-lined wall is activated to make the Spectre feel more secure. Its radar shows that something is following the bird sent to Clark Kent. Suddenly, the thieves become invisible. Even Superman sees nothing and nobody when he enters the Spectre's hideout. Meanwhile, the Man of Steel's involvement in the case may have complicated things for his civilian identity of the mild-mannered reporter. Hey, that was pretty close. I wish we could stay invisible all the time with that Superman character around. Relax, he's gone now. Yeah, but for how long? It doesn't matter. How often have I told you this is the only Superman-proof room in the world? He can't get through the radar screen without warning us. The panel's lined with lead so he can't see the instruments. So you got Superman bottled up. But what about Clark Kent? Don't look like he's gonna play ball. Rather clever, that. Kept his word about the police, but he tipped off Superman. I'm afraid Mr. Kent has got to go. Metropolis Police Inspector Bill Henderson and Clark are having no luck finding the Spectre and his gang. I'm sure that Superman's just as sorry about this as we are, Bill. Being sorry isn't gonna help. But where could they have gone? Well, obviously they found out somehow that Superman was coming. So they simply abandon their hideout. And it's a cinch they won't be back. No. No. That'd be stupid, and these boys are anything but that. Now take that warehouse robbery last night. Somehow they got by two guards, an alarm system, and a vault door, and nobody saw them. That's right. The day before that, it was a currency exchange, and that same night a heavily guarded payroll. It's impossible. What did you just say, Bill? I said it's impossible. Yes, that's what I thought. Well, that might be just the answer we're looking for. <laughs> Put her there, pal. If I'm going crazy, it's nice to have company. Now, wait a minute. Nobody's going crazy. Just let your imagination go for a minute. <laughs> it's already gone. Well, then tell me this. If we weren't being realistic, what would be the one obvious answer? That's easy. The thieves are invisible. Exactly. You know, the strain's been too much for us. I'm going to send out for some invisible sandwiches and a couple of cartons of invisible milk. <laughs> the clerk at the Apex Jewelry Store has just put $50,000 in precious gems on display when the door opens. However, no one is seen entering. As the salesman turns his back, the case is emptied. He finds the stones gone and calls the police. Operator, give me police headquarters, quick. Well, in the first place, are you sure you put the jewelry on display? Of course I did. After 20 years in the same establishment, I'm not likely to make a mistake like that. And you saw no one? Absolutely no one. I remember. I looked up and I saw the door open, but nobody came in. But that's impossible. A thief would have to have been invis... Uh-huh. Never mind. I'll be right out. The Apex Jewelry Company on 3rd Street. You can guess the rest. Mm-hmm. Mind if I come along? I wish you would. I can't trust what I'm thinking. At least $50,000 worth of gems. Well, where were they exactly? Right here. All right, all right. We'll get a description later. You're absolutely positive you saw that door open? Absolutely. I remember. I looked over and nobody came in. Wind. The wind blew it open. There hasn't been any wind in two days, Bill. Well, a little breeze anyway. Not even a puff of air. It's a better explanation than yours. Oh, is that so? I suppose that same wind blew the vault door open in the warehouse. Inspector, all I know is that my stolen gems aren't going to be wafted back to me on the next breeze. Now, take it easy. We're doing everything we can. It's the only logical conclusion, Bill. Now, don't give me that invisible man routine again. Inspector, it couldn't be. I mean, I mean, well, could it? 
course not. Now, don't get panicky or ridiculous. Somebody or something just went through that door. Ridiculous, huh? Hmm. The Spectre is clearly worried. I decided to stick around for some laughs afterwards. Wanted to see once what the cops thought about the whole thing. I'm not sure that was wise. What was their reaction? Well, Inspector Henderson, we're driving him nuts. But Kent, I don't know. He... Kent, was he there? Yeah, and he was talking about an invisible man. I know he'd stick his nose into this. The cops would never accept it, but he's just the kind to follow through on a hunch like that. Let me punch in and go knock him off, boss. Yeah, it's not as simple as that. But we got to do something. Well, how else are you going to get rid of a guy if you don't knock him off? Simply by arranging an accident. Oh, sure, why not? That used to be a specialty of yours, didn't it? More than a specialty, it was a hobby. Always a touch of the unusual. In fact, I think Mr. Kent will be my most artistic job yet. Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen are worried about Clark. They even wish to be able to contact Superman. Until they enter Clark's office, something unusual happens. A voice speaks to them. He's not back yet. Jim, I'm getting worried. I wish we knew where we could get in touch with Superman. So do I. But as long as we don't, I think I'd better call Inspector Henderson. Never mind that. Let's get going. Okay, but isn't your voice beginning to change, Miss Lane? Jim, this is no time for jokes. Turn off the radio. What radio? I said, let's get moving. Look, a this joke's is a no joke, time but... To... Jim, wasn't that your voice? No. Wasn't it yours? It was mine. Just do like I say and no one gets hurt. Am I seeing things? That's the trouble, Miss Lane. We're not seeing things. There's a car parked outside. We're going for a ride. So let's move. And don't forget, the gun's in my pocket. We'd better do what he says, Jim. Wait a minute. I'm not taking orders from something I can't see. No, I'm taking orders. The Spectre's latest note to Clark has ordered him to charter an airplane. He does so, not realizing that he has two unseen passengers, the Spectre and his henchman, Rosie. Don't look so surprised, Mr. Kent. I understand you already have us figured out. I hoped I was wrong. Too bad you wasn't. Oh, two of you. Yes, so don't try anything. Well, what's this all about? Why'd you want me up here in the air? A precaution, Mr. Kent, against a trap. How can I trap something I can't even see? You forget we can be heard, and a few police bullets fired in the direction of our voices could be disastrous. You seem to have thought of everything. Even to the radar outfit to detect Superman. Oh, that was how it was done. And we was going to offer you a deal, Mr. Kent, till you crossed us up. You had a chance to be a rich man. Well, maybe it still isn't too late to talk business, gentlemen. I'm afraid that's out of the question. Hey, the boys ought to be punching us in about now. Yes, an airplane would look pretty silly landing with nobody in it. What do you mean by that? You'll see. And here we are. Too bad, Kent. Now you can identify us. Should make things easier at that. Come now, Mr. Kent. You must realize that this is a one-way trip for you. Well, we've all got to go sometime. I'd admit he's a cool character. He's got nerve. I have to give you credit. You certainly outsmarted me. Coming from you, that's quite a compliment. Well, Rosie, better push him out. Oh, before you do, there's one thing I'd like to know. How does this whole thing work? Well, that's a reasonable last request. Sure. He won't be around to use it against us. It's very simple. 
Anyone who carries one of these coins can be made invisible. At this very moment, one of my men is waiting outside the Metropolis Bank. At exactly three o'clock, he'll disappear. The rest you can figure out for yourself. Sounds like a great story. I'm sorry I won't be around to write it. I am too. You had your chance. Should have joined us instead of trying to beat us. Now move over to the other side. Who'll fly this airplane? I'll worry about that, Ken. Meanwhile, the Spectre and Rosie have knocked out Clark and thrown him from the aircraft. Having ordered the Spectre's man Luke to go to Inspector Henderson, Superman has the thief's invisibility coin. He uses it to enter the Spectre's cabin hideout. In this way, the criminal's radar cannot detect him. The fight between the Spectre's gang and Superman is no contest, as they are knocked around with ease. Jimmy and Lois are free to discover the unconscious Spectre and his thugs. Jeepers, this place looks like it was hit by a hurricane. A hurricane named Superman, if you ask me. It looks like it, but where is he? Here I am, Jim. Don't explain anything, Superman. I'm sure I wouldn't believe it. Cheaper Superman, I'm afraid you're too late. They've probably already done away with poor Mr. Kent. Now, don't worry, Jimmy. It's true, they did push him out of a plane, but fortunately, I was there when he fell. Poor Clark. I bet he was scared silly. Oh, I wouldn't say that, Miss Lane. I thought he took it rather well. For Clark Kent, that is. All right. This is an episode that, you know, I've seen a few times. You know, like I've said before in other episodes, there are some episodes that will stick with you longer than others for various reasons. Especially if they were one of the episodes I've had on videotape when I was a kid. This episode, however, is not one of them. But, you know, there are things that are very memorable about this episode, like the pigeon and the invisibility. So, when I saw those things as I watched this, it brought me back to being a kid watching the show on Channel 9 in the New York City area. So this episode starts out with Clark on the phone to Inspector Henderson, and, you know, Perry wants the story, and Henderson is awful slow in solving some of these robberies that are going on. And Clark is about to leave his office, and he's nearly run over by Lois and Jimmy, and they're carrying a box with holes in it. And whatever is in this box, Clark has no patience for it, as he's trying to get out and do his job in there, bothering him with boxes. And it's a pigeon. Clark is awful sarcastic, and uh, as Jimmy says, it's a bird, and Clark notes that most pigeons are birds. You know, Clark is not taking this very seriously, and he wants nothing more than to be out of his office and doing whatever it is he feels needs to be done. So this note is telling Clark to meet with the Spectre, who is one of the, who appears to be the boss behind the uh, latest robberies here. And Clark won't let the police come because the note said not to, but Clark said he gave his word. I'm not sure how Clark gave his word, but because he didn't respond to the letter writer, which, like I mentioned, was nicknamed the Spectre. And the name of the Spectre could be a nod to the DC Comics character of the same name, who who was, at the very least, created by Jerry Siegel. Wikipedia tells me that he was also created by Bernard Bailey. So that would make the Spectre created in 1940, created by one of Superman's two co-creators. I guess makes him a younger half-brother to the Man of Steel. So anyway, we'll move on from that and... Clark wants to go alone, much to the uh, dismay of Lois and Jimmy. You know, Clark constantly wants to go alone because he wants to make use of his Superman identity, and taking anybody along with him would complicate matters. So, Clark writes a note and takes the pigeon with him to the storeroom. You know, when Clark walked out of his office and toward the storeroom, nobody was there, and I am absolutely shocked that Lois and Jimmy weren't hanging around outside Clark's office. And if they weren't outside Clark's office, I'm kind of surprised that they weren't hanging around like around around a corner or something to uh, 
keep an eye on where Clark went. But he went into the storeroom undetected, and he's going to find an interesting way around his word, quote-unquote. As he points out, the note said, don't bring the police, but it didn't say anything about Superman. Well, I'm guessing not bringing Superman along was implied, but Clark is definitely using the letter of the letter to defeat the spirit of the letter. He sends the pigeon out the window, and there goes Superman after it. And we get an interesting shot of Superman jumping out of the window toward the camera. It's a nice-looking shot of him taking off. So we go from that to a couple guys in a cabin. They're counting some stolen jewelries and their money. Here is Luke punching in some commands into a giant computer that looks like something that we'll see in episodes of Star Trek ten years later. This is the machine that's going to turn the, uh, the criminals invisible that we're going to see throughout the course of this episode. Apparently, part of Spectre's plan is to buy off Clark. I guess he doesn't know our mild-mannered reporter very well. There is no amount of money that Clark would take to not chase a criminal like Spectre. Clark is a man of honor, and he is not going to be bribed by their criminals, no matter how elaborate their traps are. Not only does the pigeon show up on radar, but so does Superman. As they flip a switch and turn invisible, Superman shows up, bursts through a wall in fine fashion, but he doesn't find anything. He just kind of looks around, kind of annoyed, and flies off. So, it's very clear from the onset of this episode that this gang's gimmick is going to be invisibility. And that makes the boss's name being the Spectre kind of appropriate. As the word Spectre is basically defined as a ghost. And I guess you could, you can compare somebody who is invisible to being ghostly. So, Spectre calls their hideout Superman-proof. As he points out that the panel is lined with lead. Again, you would think if Superman couldn't see through it, he would just kind of punch through it, find out what was behind it, especially since Spectre says only the panel is lined with lead and not the rest of the room. You know, and there are other ways, too, that somebody with Superman's abilities could find a bunch of invisible men. Any movement they made would have created some kind of sound. Even if they took a step to the right or to the left, he'd hear the creak in the floor, he'd hear clothing rustling up against each other so there is no way that this invisibility trick should really bother superman he should be able to just kind of grab these guys almost as if he could see them but he doesn't and this episode will go on and once superman leaves specter and the gang become visible again and since clark tipped off superman he has to go at first he was going to try to do some business with clark but nope not now he he brought in the man of steel he's got to go at police headquarters, Clark and Henderson are quite confused, and they're upset that Superman couldn't find anything. And as they're talking and sulking, uh, Henderson gets a call about a warehouse robbery. Everything they're taking out is heavily guarded, and nobody sees a thing. And Clark stops when Henderson says what they've done is impossible. And I like how Clark thinks outside of what is possible when he asks Henderson to kind of eliminate realism from his thoughts. It reminded me of an old Sherlock Holmes quote, which was later adapted for Star Trek. For those of you who've seen Star Trek VI, we learned that apparently Mr. Spock is a descendant of Sir Conan Arthur Doyle, who, who wrote the Sherlock Holmes novels. And this quote first appeared in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's 1890 novel, Sign of the Four. When you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. So, they've eliminated the impossible. So after that, Henderson thinks they're both just going crazy, and he is just happy that he appears to have found a roommate at the insane asylum. Because he's convinced that since they're just even entertaining the notion of an invisible man, that's enough to convince Henderson that he's kind of going crazy. So then we go to a jewelry store. Luke is made invisible as Spectre pulls a lever on the machine, and this jewelry store set 
looks a lot like pool jewelry from the Wedding of Superman, even though it's a little smaller. It's probably the same set as the walls look almost identical. And the store owner is quite befuddled by the fact that the door keeps opening, and eventually he notices his jewels are gone. Now, Henderson is skeptical when the door when the store owner calls in. When he mentions that the door kept opening, Henderson says he must have been invisible, and then Henderson invites Clark along because he thinks he's going crazy. I like the argument here between Clark and Henderson about an invisible man. Henderson has an answer for everything. First, he suggests the wind. Clark says there's been no wind for days. Henderson suggests a breeze, and Clark shoots that down too, saying there hasn't been a, a puff of air for two days. Which, I find a little bit hard to believe. Are they telling me that in a city like Metropolis, which presumably is on the East Coast, that for two days nobody has even, nobody has even felt a slight breeze? I mean, it shouldn't matter. A light breeze wouldn't be able to close a, open a closed door anyway. But then something happens. The door opens and closes right in front of Henderson, and that seems to convince him that we are indeed looking for an invisible man. And basically this happened because Luke decided to stick around and see the police reaction. And this is where we find out that the criminals are right to be wary of Clark because they're concerned that he's talking about an invisible man. And talking about an invisible man is cutting kind of close to their gimmick here. Though Clark is a problem, so Spectre is going to have him meet with an accident. Lois and Jimmy show up in Clark's office concerned. I'm not exactly sure what they're concerned about, but the episode doesn't really do a good job of explaining why exactly they're in Clark's office to begin with. But they decide they want Superman, and that's when they hear a disembodied voice that they at first think is each other doing it. Now, the other voice is clearly a man's voice, and so I can see how Lois might believe that it's Jimmy. But there is no way that Jimmy should mistake that voice for Lois's. It's just too deep. And uh, eventually they're convinced when they get marched out of the room by a floating gun. It's a nice little effect here, as apparently only the men holding the coin is invisible. Objects they're holding are not. I guess unless they put them in a pocket or something. Since the gun is in his hand, it's visible, and it's kind of just floating around in a nice effect for the 1950s. I'm not sure how they realize this, but it looks pretty good. Maybe it's on a string or something, I don't know. So Jimmy wasn't taking any orders until he got shoved by something he couldn't see. That's a nice bit of physical acting on Jack Larson's part as he's not getting pushed, but he has to simulate the act of getting pushed and just kind of throw himself toward the door and stumble for a few uh, for a few feet. So now there's this scene with Spectre and Rosie, when, and I'm guessing that this, is, uh, this scene here is strictly for the kiddos because Spectre explains how the machine works. Amazing how science has played right into our hands. Yeah. But I still don't understand them gimmicks. Very simple, really. The radar sends out a shortwave frequency. When it hits an object, it bounces back like an echo and shows up on the screen. But that don't explain how we become invisible. Well, it's the same principle. Our bodies are changed so that light passes through them instead of being reflected. You mean if I become invisible, then radar waves go right through me? Exactly, and you wouldn't show up on the screen. I don't know. I'd rather be flesh and blood. I imagine the police would prefer it that way also. So Legend Luke shows up and operates the machine, and you see the handle move by itself, and he becomes visible. In our next scene, we see Clark in a plane. He is being held up by a floating gun after receiving a note. This is where he learns that he was right, but was hoping he was wrong. As the floating gun tells him that these robberies have been perpetrated by invisible criminals. So Clark says they can still talk business, but the criminals at that time has passed. I don't think Clark was serious about wanting to talk business, but he was just putting that on so he could, you know, pretend to be scared and give a show of wanting to get out of this situation. 
suspect him in running, go visible, and they tell Clark they have to kill him. And Clark is awful calm about this. And now we get an explanation for how, what makes the machine work. We learned how it works and why it works in the previous scene with Spectre and Rosie. Now Spectre is going to inform us that anyone who has a coin, I guess the machine is programmed to target certain coins and make the person holding it invisible. I'm guessing it casts some kind of field around the user which makes him or her invisible. And the gimmick of the coin kind of reminds me of the coins in the Adam Man serial for his space transporter. So after they're done giving uh, the criminal explanations... Clark is pistol whip, who feigns unconsciousness and then falls out of the plane. And I will say that Clark makes a very nice landing in his business suit, landing right on his feet, and he changes into Superman, and he knows where to find Luke, being that he's been told, because Spectre and Rosie were reasonably sure that Clark was going to be dead by now. And he turns to Superman and flies to see Luke in front of the bank. <laughs> Superman tells Luke to turn himself in, takes the coin, and flies off. I'm pretty sure at this point, Luke is going to do whatever Superman tells him. He is not messing with the Man of Steel. So now Superman is invisible, and and he flies off. It's rather amusing seeing the quote-unquote flying shot with no Superman in it. Just some moving clouds to simulate the camera following Superman to his destination. And Superman shows up after the villains are talking for a minute, and Superman bursts through the wall, and the boards just fall because Superman is still invisible. So I'm not sure how they realize its effect of... Superman bursting through the wall without having Superman there. They probably just... I guess they must have had some kind of mechanism on the other side of the wall and it just knocked the boards out of the way at the proper time. I'm not an expert on movie visual effects, I'm afraid. And this fight is rather amusing. These guys basically have to throw themselves around and run around and run into doors on their own. Superman's abilities make most fights unfair anyway, but adding invisibility to the proceedings just seems cruel on Superman's part. He can really make himself visible and take care of this situation just as easily. But I guess he wants to mess around with the criminals a little bit the way they've messed around with everyone else. So then Superman goes up to the room where Lois and Jimmy are locked. He pulls the the lock off and frees them. And he does all this before turning himself visible. And Lois and Jimmy talk for a moment before Superman reveals himself. And so you could definitely tell from what we've seen of these past few minutes that Superman's having a great deal of fun with invisibility. And then after the episode ends... Jimmy is sad that Clark is gone, but Superman mentions that he caught Clark and that he took it very well, at least for Clark Kent. This was an episode that always entertained me. Like I said, it had a few memorable moments, like the pigeon and Clark Kent's landing, and of course, I always remember the ending commenting about how well Clark took his attack. You know, it is a straightforward episode. It's a fun little adventure, Superman up against some invisible thieves. This concept will be revisited at least once on the screen. The fourth episode of Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman in the 90s will put Superman up against some invisible thieves and he'll have to figure out a way to turn them visible. But we'll get to that when the time comes. At this point, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with The Jolly Roger. Hang around, folks. When you think of podcasts about religion, you probably think of this. But at least one religion podcast sounds more like this. I kick ass for the Lord. Dorkness to Light is a relatively geeky production in which Alan and Emily discuss topics of faith, religion, and spirituality. But we do so through the lens of pop culture, like movies, TV, and comic books. Because we're nerds. 
Our primary focus will be on Christianity, because that's what we know best. But all religious content is on the table. Well, think about it, Scully, from vampirism to Catholicism. This is an occasional cast, to be recorded and released as the mood strikes, with topics ranging from in-depth reviews to personal rants about some small aspect of theology or church history, because we're theological nerds. If these topics interest you, check out Dorkness to Light blogspot.com for our more regular content or darknesstolight.tumblr.com for our more irregular content memes and puns mostly my bad darkness to light often irreverent rarely sacrilegious alright welcome back folks we're going to head right into our coverage of the Jolly Roger, which was the season finale for Season 4 of The Adventures of Superman. Original broadcast date was June 16, 1956. Writer was David Chandler. Director was Phil Ford. Guest cast, and this is a pretty long one, included Leonard Moody as Captain Blood, Eric Snowden as Captain Thud, Myron Healy as Captain Mud, William Henry as Captain Scud, Eve Brent as Alice, Dean Cromer was Tyler, Chester Marshall was the Ensign, Ray Montgomery as Riffles, Pierre Watkin as the Admiral, and Patrick Ahern as Lieutenant Schultz. Now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Island Abel in the South Seas is about to get shelled by the U.S. Navy soon. Daily Planet editor Perry White has assigned reporters Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and Clark Kent to cover the event. Well, well, the Bobsy twins. I trust I'm not interrupting any plans. Oh, that's all right, Chief. We've been waiting for you an hour, Clark. You're harder to keep track of than Superman. Uh, yes, Lois. Oh, what is it, Chief? Oh, merely a stroke of genius. An idea for a layout for the Sunday supplement. And I want you and Lois and Flash Bob Olson to cover it. Right, Chief. Come on, gang, let's go. Olson, would it upset you very much to find out what you're supposed to do before you start doing it? Me? Uh, yes, that might help. Now, there's a deserted island in the Pacific called Island Abel. It's a naval target area. The fleet's going to shell it with everything they have. I want you on that island taking pictures. But, Chief... You mean you want us to be on the island while they're actually shelling it? I just hope there's a Monday supplement telling how we gave our lives for the Sunday supplement. Don't tempt me. What I want are pictures of that island before and after the bombardment. Oh, that's different, Chief. That would make a wonderful layout. But uh, why don't you let me handle this by myself? You see... Oh, no, you don't, Clark. I've always wanted to visit one of those lush tropical isles. Swarming with lush tropical native princesses. The island is deserted, of course. Now, I thought you could take a plane to Hawaii and there charter a seaplane and go the rest of the trip. You can fly one of those things, can't you, Kent? Why, of course, sir. That's no problem. But I thought I could do this much faster alone. You can't make it any faster alone than with us, so quit trying to hog the whole story. All right, Lois. Now, if you'll all sit down, I'll give you the details. And you'd better listen, unless you want to be part of the target. <clears throat> now, here. Unfortunately, Clark, Lois, and Jimmy have been captured by a group of men dressed as pirates. Odds Bodkins. Odds Bodkins. Ha! What are the rest of them? Uh, the rest of whom? I asked you first. Ah, so you did, so you did. Oh, this is all of them. I mean, we're all... This is us. Oh, dear. My great-great-grandfather captured a hundred people at a time. Well, uh, 
I'd be very glad to go back and get some more, if only you'll excuse me. Easy does it, laddie. I say, Captain, don't you think these three blighters are better than nothing? I suppose so. What you do with people except capture them? Ah, oh. oh, yes. I have it. We'll court-martial them. What for? Mutiny, you black-hearted idiot. Or uh, can you suggest anything better? Uh, excuse me, sir, but just who are you? I, sir, am Captain Blood. This is Captain Thud, Captain Scud, Captain Mud, and Lieutenant Schultz. How do you do, Schultz? Schultz? Uh, what I wanted to say was, um, what are you doing in these costumes? Oh. We lost our ship in a hurricane. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Three hundred years ago. Why, you don't look a day over 50. I'm not. My great, 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 great grandfather lost the ship. Careless of him, wasn't it? Dreadful. Clark, I don't know who these people are, but we've got to get them off the island before four. Let's not mention until we find out what they're up to. I've heard of people seeing spots before their eyes before, but pirates. Excuse me, Captain, but shouldn't we get on with the capturing? Oh, dear, dear, dear me, yes, yes. Well, now let me see. How would you like to be captured? We have three different methods to choose from. Well, if you don't mind, sir, I think we'll just go along peacefully. Peacefully? Yes. Oh, no, no, no. that's not one of the methods. No. I tell you, we'll tie their hands just for the sake of appearance. No. <laughs> of course. Here you are, old boy. Uh, no lusty pirate songs? Oh, uh, no, no, we, we never learned any. Oh. Come with me. March. Their leader, Captain Blood, is currently deciding what to do with Lois, Clark, and Jimmy when the reporters meet Tyler and Riffles. I'm Tyler. That's Riffles. Welcome to paradise. How do you do? Are you pirates, too? Well, we're apprentice pirates. How did you get here? We were flying to China and our plane conked out and we had to ditch it. We washed up here three years ago. Well, I hope I get a chance to talk to you later. I hope so, too. Come, come. We've no time to waste. Line up before the bar of justice. They wouldn't really do anything, would they? I don't know, Lois. They've been there so long. Generations, probably. They really believe this nonsense. What I don't like is the looks of those two. Now, is it true that you were cast ashore from one of His Majesty's ships? Uh, no, sir. We came by seaplane. Oh. Make a note of that. I already have. Captain Thug, read the charges. Mutiny, Captain. It's the only blooming charge we have. Mutiny. Mutiny. This calls for stringing them from the yardarm. I order them strung from the yardarm. They're crazy enough to do it. Oh, in the spirit of good, clean fun, of course. Mm -hmm. I say, Captain, there aren't any yardarms. Oh, dear, what a pity. Then they'll have to settle by walking the plank. Captain, our ancestors ran out of planks 200 years ago. Oh, bother. I have it. We'll lop their blooming heads off. Do you think they'd really do it? It's a tough way to lose your head. Superman 5,000 miles away in Metropolis. Clark, for once, I wish you really were Superman. Yes, I wish I were Superman, too, without... Um... What do you mean? Well, I mean, I wish I could turn into Superman. Well, wishing isn't going to help. 
Well, let's see if a little 20th century psychology will. Now, just a minute. You claim this to be a pirate court-martial. All right. How do we know that you're really pirates? Odds, Bodkins. Are you asking us to prove that we're really pirates? Naturally. But there's nothing about it in the book. Exactly. So perhaps you aren't. For example, what do you do here? What do we do? Do That's right. What do you do? Why, we, uh, we, uh, 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 hunt treasure, naturally. Come with me. You dropped this, I believe? Thanks. Lord, they look real. They are, Lois. Must be worth a million dollars. There. Now, are you satisfied? Well, not exactly. You see, genuine pirates usually bury treasure. Oh, dear. But if you insist, Captain Thud, order a treasure party. Already organized, Captain. There's some very nice treasure just 20 paces east of Triangle Rock. Excellent. But, Captain, where did all this treasure come from in the first place? Oh, it's always been here. Naturally. After we dig it all up, we bury it again for the next generation. Must lose a lot of treasure that way. Never looked at it that way before. This is fantastic. There are easier businesses than pirating. But somebody's got to do it. Shall we go? Let's. They discover an old magnetic mine left over from the last war. Eventually, Lois must reveal the Navy's plans to shell the island. Captain, uh, I'd like to give you a little advice. I wouldn't believe any of that stuff they're telling me. I think they're trying to trick you into surrendering. Surrender? <laughs> Not at all. Never. <laughs> Attaboy, Captain, because Riffles and I are with you. Just one thing, though, in case. Tie these people up securely and then send your men out looking for better fortifications. Excellent idea. Remind me to promote you to something or other. You can promote me to millionaire, Captain. Bound, gagged, and blindfolded, Clark, Lois, and Jimmy are prisoners of Captain Blood while his men prepare to attack the coming naval fleet with an old cannon. Tyler and Riffles, in the meantime, have set a trap for the old mine. Their targets are the Daily Planet reporters. If they can eliminate them, the pair of thieves can make their getaway with the jewels they have taken from Captain Blood's treasure chest. Superman has... Superman has hurled the magnetic mine to the ocean. However, he is having difficulty convincing the Navy Admiral that there are pirates on Island Abel. We'll never see that island looking the same again. Well, maybe someday we won't even have to practice for war. Well, I hope so, sir. I'm sorry, Admiral. I hope I didn't startle you, sir. Superman, what are you doing here? It is highly irregular, you know. I know it is, sir, but I've come to beg you not to shell that island. But, Superman, I have my orders. Any changes would have to come from Washington. We scouted that island carefully, and we know it's deserted. I'm afraid it's not, sir. They must have hidden from your scouting party. Who? Captain Blood and his pirates. Well, that's fine, Superman. Pirates, huh? Yes, sir. Well, you just run along. I know it sounds incredible, but you must believe me. Yeah, well, of course. Uh, thanks very much for tipping us off. I can't blame you. I didn't believe it myself at first. I must get you some proof. How much time do I have? Even you would have to hurry. Having untied Lois and Jimmy as Clark Kent. Flag the other ships to stand by. Yes, sir. Who's there? Clark, how did, how did you get untied? I bet I know. 
I thought I heard something a little while ago like Superman flying. Hey, I bet he's on the island. That's who let you loose. That's right, Lois. You've guessed it. Where is he now? It's about time for the showing to begin. Oh, even hmm. Superman couldn't get us off here in time. Well, that's right. He's got to do something about it right now. I've got to find the captain. Excuse me. Yeah. No, let him go. What a waste of time anyway. I guess we've about had it this time. Superman comes up with a plan. As Captain Blood's men rush to costumed hero, Jimmy takes a photo of the action with his camera. Superman then develops the negative with his X-ray vision. As the Metropolis Marvel flies back to the Admiral ship with the picture, shells burst on his impervious skin, needing the U.S. Navy to hold their fire so they can finish investigating the situation. Exploded every one of those shells in midair. I don't know what we'd do without them. Hey, Clark, you missed it again. Missed what? Hey, where did Superman go? You know he never hangs around once his job is finished, Jimmy. Oh, I was fortunate enough to capture these two characters and stop them from stealing our seaplane. They did drop the loot, however, in about 20 fathoms of water, to be exact. Well, what do we do now with uh, all these pirates? Well, I think we better leave that up to the United Nations or our State Department. With all the gold and jewels, they're going to be fantastically wealthy people. Well, haven't you heard? What? When they suspected that Riffles and Tyler were trying to rob them, they sunk all their treasure in quicksand on the other side of the island. There's millions of dollars gone forever. Hmm. Of course, Superman could recover it for them, but maybe it's just as well this way. Wonderful, wonderful. Great story, beautiful pictures. You've all outdone yourselves. Well, thank you, Chip. It really was nothing. You can say that again. Great story, beautiful pictures. And do you think for a minute any of our readers are going to believe this balderdash? But, Chief, it's, it's true. You believe it, don't you? Yeah, sure, sure, I believe it, but I'm not very bright. You know what? That's the first time I ever heard him admit it. Out, out! Get out! I want to start off by saying I generally enjoy pirates. You know, they're just very fun and drunk and just cause all kinds of mayhem. I am not a big fan of these pirates, and honestly, I think this is one of the worst episodes of the series. I know I kind of lowered the boom on the dog who knew Superman back in season two, but at least the dog was cute in that episode. My main complaint with that episode was that the human characters acted stupidly. This episode is just stupid all around. And we start with Perry having an idea for the Sunday supplement. And apparently they were waiting for some reason an hour for Clark to show up. And I like Lois's comment that he's harder to keep track of than Superman. And apparently whatever this idea Perry's about to have is an absolute stroke of genius. And the stroke of genius is for them to cover the shelling of a deserted island. Of course, for some reason, they all think they're going to be on the island while it's being shelled. I'm not exactly sure why they think that. I guess it's just supposed to be a bit of comedy for... But it doesn't really work, and it just makes them all look dumb. Of course, they're not actually going to be on the island while it's being bombed. Real bright. But the chief just wants them there for before and after. She He wants some before shots of the lush tropical paradise and what it looks like as a charred mess and... Lois mentioned that she always wanted to go to a tropical island. I guess the character forgot that she had just been to a, a tropical island a few episodes ago on Dagger Island. And speaking of Dagger Island, this set looks a lot like Dagger Island. And I'm guessing that they just used the same set for this episode as they did for Dagger Island. Probably filmed those two episodes quite close to each other. This is actually the first time I've noticed that, but eh, it is what it is. And I believe, I didn't really check to verify this, 
But I believe Lois, Clark, and Jimmy are also wearing their Dagger Island outfits. On our deserted island, and whistling talking about how great this island is, we find a band of pirates. They kind of just come out of the bushes and ambush the Daily Planet crew. And we look at their leader, Captain Blood, and if you're looking closely, you'll recognize that that is Leonard Moody underneath the mustache and that hat. He was Brockhurst in A Ghost of Scotland Yard. And he also played the role of Leland Masters in Drums of Death. I don't believe he was in any other episodes. Oh, and he was also uh, Dr. Jody in The Magic Necklace. Leonard Moody is uh, quite the veteran of the show. I'm not sure what their game is, but they're not very convincing pirates. And they're going to court-martial the Daily Planet staff for mutiny. Despite the fact that they haven't actually done anything, the only thing they've done was show up. Captain Blood is apparently a 6th or 7th generation pirate, and he's actually asking them how they would like to be captured. I mean, if these guys are supposed to be threatening, they're really not showing it. And the planet crew is just playing along. I don't, under- And I don't understand why. They have to be off this island by 4 o'clock. I'm not sure what time it is at this point, but there is a pretty heavy-duty weapon coming toward this island. And they're sitting here playing pirate. I mean, sure, just let the strangers tie them up and march them somewhere. And they marched them to a little camp with some other people hanging around. Interestingly enough, and this kind of helps with my theory that this episode was filmed around the same time as Dagger Island was. I didn't notice it right away until I read the cast list, but I really noticed here that Tyler and Riffles, played by Dean Cromer and Ray Montgomery, are two of the three Dagger Island cousins. The other cousin, Myron Healy, is one of the pirates. So, I can assume they had these guys for long enough to do two episodes right in a row. And Dagger Island aired when it aired, and this one aired when it aired. It's almost like they never left the set. I believe Riffles, who who was the same actor who played Mickey the cab driver in Dagger Island, is wearing the same outfit, I believe. And Tyler, who was the villainous cousin, is wearing a brown coat here that I don't recall him wearing on... Dagger Island, so his costume might be slightly different. It doesn't make sense why it would be. They figured they'd have just given him the same uh, jungle costume, or expedition outfit, as I like to call it, that he wore in Dagger Island. Apparently, Tyler and Riffles have been stuck on the island for three years after their plane crashed on the way to China. Jimmy is immediately suspicious of Tyler and Riffles. And the Daily Planet staff here is about to face their court-martial, and they're asking them all kinds of questions, and... They are confused by the idea of a seaplane. Captain Blood had to look that up to figure out what Clark was talking about. And, uh, they don't actually know what the penalty for mutiny is. So they they have to look it up, I guess, in the fake pirate bylaws or whatever it is they're going by. And apparently, the penalty for mutiny is to get a hanging from the yardarms. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh my god, this is awful. And we find out that the pirates don't have any yardarms, so they... Have to go with the next option, which is having them walk the plank. They're on land, they, and they don't have a boat, so I'm not exactly sure what walking the plank would do for them, even if they had a plank. All the while, I'm wondering if this episode is over yet. And I'm wondering if I really have to watch the rest of this episode to continue with my coverage. But, you know, I decided to bite the bullet for you. I watched the rest of this episode, so now you won't have to. I mean, you can if you want, if you want to torture yourself with bad pirate acts be my guest i've done it so yeah go ahead and do it if i had to do it i don't see why you shouldn't either clark asked them if they're really pirates 
And I'm kind of wondering the same thing at this point. And this really looks more like very bad theater than anything else. And they found some treasure. It's worth about a million dollars, as estimated by Clark. And apparently what they do for all these generations on the island is they bury the treasure, and then they dig it up again. Worst pirates ever. And after all this, this is where we learn that Riffles and Tyler are bank robbers back uh, in the States, and they're eyeing the fortune. So, now we've got pirates digging, and I guess these morons have never actually tried to get off the island. And Clark would like to go off by himself to change into Superman and do something. Maybe he's going to circle the island and grab the pirates and throw them in the water or something, I don't know. And uh, while they're digging, uh, they find uh, a magnetic mine. Great. I wonder how long this has been here. My guess would be sometime around during one of the two world wars that preceded this. Most likely the second. But the mine was buried under some dirt in the island. And now, Clark takes his glasses off saying someday he knew he'd have to resort to this. And he walks directly toward Lois with his glasses off. And nobody says anything. Nobody notices. Hello! Superman's face is right in front of you. I can only imagine that David Chandler had to be under the influence of something when he wrote this episode. I was guessing that at some point his doing something desperate was going to reveal himself to be Superman in front of everybody, but nah, after all that show, he just puts his glasses back on. I guess Lois was right. There is no man in Clark. So Clark tells the pirate captain that the island is going to get blown to bits by the U.S. Navy, but they're going to fight any old Navy, you know. They've, uh... Spent most of their episode, they keep, the only Navy these guys have mentioned before was Her Majesty's Navy, so they think they're running from some British ships, probably from the 1800s or something. He mentions that they've been on this, 1700s I would guess, as they mentioned they've been on this island. No, 1600s. This episode was mid-1950s, so Captain Blood mentions they've been on the island for 300 years, so this would kind of put them on the island in the 17th century. And they think they're running away from the from the English Navy circa 1750. And they're going to fight the Navy. They'll fight any old Navy. Because they have artillery. So, they go into the woods, and they pull out a cannon. <laughs> and Jimmy has the same question that everybody else, if you're watching this travesty of an episode, would ask. They're going to fight all those ships in the U.S. Navy with that? They're not, but they seem to think that they're going to take out the U.S. Navy with one cannon. And now Tyler here is going to make a play to convince Blood that Clark and them are trying to trick Blood into surrendering. I would think surrendering surrendering would be better than getting blown to hell and back, but, but Tyler is going to convince the pirates otherwise. And they're going, Riffles and Tyler are going all in with the pirates because, you know, they want the treasure too. So, Lois and Jimmy are tied up with their mouths and eyes covered. Tell me this isn't going to be convenient for Clark. And, uh, you know, you don't see Clark at first, but eventually the camera pulls away to as... Tyler and Riffles put the magnetic mine right in front of Clark in an effort to get rid of the Daily Planet reporters. And Clark is all tied up too. Again, his mouth and eyes are covered. And the mine is sitting right in front of him. And again, Captain Blood is making some kind of proclamation of them fighting the Navy while he is struggling to get his sword out of its sheath. I said it before, and I believe it bears repeating. Worst pirates ever. So, while the naval ships are fighting heavily armed naval warships with a cannon, Tyler and Riffles are stealing the jewels. And, obviously, Clark is watching all of this with his x-ray vision through the blindfold. And we're going to see when 
Clark gets out of his ropes and takes off the blindfold that apparently they put the blindfold over Clark's glasses. It kind of reminds me of that old Silver Age trope whenever Batman would disguise himself as somebody. He would take off the makeup and his cowl would be there underneath it. I don't think they've got the blindfold down without breaking the glasses, so. Anyway, Lois works her own gag loose as Clark breaks free, but he doesn't answer and he acts like he's still gagged because he doesn't want her to see that he actually got up and is ready to change to Superman and he doesn't want Lois to see that. So, like a good superhero, Clark is going to leave Lois and Jimmy there while he turns into Superman. And while Sup- Superman comes back to the, to the site where they were tied up, and he picks up the mine and throws it into the water. And as the mine f- flies through the air, Tyler and Riffles just kind of look at it with this stupefied look on their faces. Almost a lot like Jimmy's stupefied look. <laughs> and <laughs> Superman throws the, the mine to the water. It has a very humorous sound effect as the thing goes over their heads. You know, like one of those little toys I had as a kid where you put the sound effects in. One of them would be the bomb dropping. The squeak and the explosion when it hits the ground. Apparently, the Navy didn't mention the explosion of the mine hitting the water. Otherwise, they might have actually stopped their shelling of the island. As if they could determine that the mine came from the island, that maybe they could clear their names. But, nope, no such luck. No, the mine has exploded and the ships have ignored it. Remember before how I mentioned Dagger Island? The hut looks like Skaggs. Just saying. Kind of reinforces my opinion that this is the same set as Dagger Island. So now we see Superman flying over the ocean toward the naval ships. And here's our old friend Pierre Watkin playing the Admiral. For those of you who remember the Kirk Allen serials, he played the role of Perry White in 1948's Superman the Serial. And he reprised the role in 1950 in Adam Man vs. Superman. He played opposite Kirk Allen and opposite of Noel Neal. Apparently, the Navy has done an extensive search of the island, but it, it clearly wasn't extensive enough as the pirates hid from the search. <laughs> Superman tells the Admiral about the pirates, and, you know, he is he knows how crazy it sounds. But the Admiral and his ensign here just think Superman has gone nuts, and he flies off trying to prove, to try to prove that there are pirates on the island. He changes back to Clark, rescues Lois and Jimmy, despite confirming Superman's presence. If he was going to do that, why bother changing back to Clark? So... Obviously, Clark is going to run off again, change it to Superman, and then when he gets back, he's going to ask Lois and Jimmy where Clark can't win. The pirates, meanwhile, have come back to the camp, and they're going to charge the Superman with their, and their knives and swords break. Now, and now that they've been defeated, Blood is happy that they don't have to be pirates anymore. What? That is what it took for them to not have to be pirates anymore? If it was that easy, why couldn't they just stop being pirates whenever? <sighs> this is worse than bad theater. Anyway, back to the part of the show that matters. Superman has Jimmy get his camera, and when Jimmy puts up a little bit of an argument, Superman nearly throws Jimmy after the camera, and he takes a picture of the pirates, and Superman develops it with his X-ray vision and hopes that this picture will be enough to convince the Navy, which has already opened fire. So Superman takes off and uh, goes back to the Admiral. A humorous note here, one of the women comes up to Jimmy, and as he's watching Superman, and he complains that she never look- that he never looks at her like that. And Jimmy just deadpans the saying that you're not Superman. Of course, as a gay man, Jack Larson wouldn't look at any woman like that. What we get here is some extremely weird editing of stock footage of naval ships shooting their cannons and various angles of flying shots of Superman. And this is meant to display Superman being unable to really fly to any significant length. So between all the edits... This tells us that Superman has stopped all the shells, and eventually the Admiral's dialogue confirms that the shells have just 
exploded in midair. So it the Admiral explains what the series can't show us. So that works. But the show never actually shows Superman go back to the ship to tell them there are pirates on the island. The Admiral just kind of orders all the ships back to dock to see what the hell's wrong with them. So, and again, these dumbass pirates have buried the real treasure in quicksand. Clark mentions that Superman could just recover it, but he won't. He's going to make them integrate into, into society like normal people. And when they get back, Hurry says the story is great, but no one believed this balderdash, which basically means nonsense. And when Perry comments he believes it, he indicates that he's not too bright, and Jimmy gets a dig on Perry about admitting that. Perry screams at him and very slowly throws a book at Jimmy as he runs out of the office. It was a humorous ending to an otherwise dreadful episode. And I, I have no trouble putting this down right now as one of the... As the worst episode of the series. As much as I dislike the dog who knew Superman because of the stupidity displayed by most of the human characters, like I said, there's just nothing redeeming about this episode. It's just awful. And I don't want to talk about it anymore. Next time, we're going to take a little detour from the adventures of Superman as I'm going to cover George Reeves' appearance on a season 6 episode of I Love Lucy, entitled Lucy and Superman. This episode is basically about Superman uh, attending little Ricky's birthday party, and uh, they don't think he's going to come... He eventually does, and basically hilarity ensues. So that's an apparent appearance of George Reeves, not so much as Superman, but as George Reeves pretending to be Superman. But since he appears in that in costume, I'm going to cover it as part of the show. So that's going to be next week. And then the week after that, I'm going to jump into Season 5, which is not one of the better seasons of this show. We'll just leave it at that. So, you can email any feedback you might have to manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the Facebook group by just putting the Man of Screen podcast into your Facebook search feed and the show will come up. Also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And if you are discussing the show on the social medias, please use the hashtag Man of Screen Podcast. You can also leave reviews for the show on iTunes and Stitcher. That will help others find the show. So, until next time, this is Mike Zumo saying, have a good one, folks. Take care. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen Podcast. Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen Podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.